Well, good morning again. So uh, good to have you guys here. As I mentioned before, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here with Artisan Church. And uh, we are wrapping up a series called Wild, uh, which is not out of character for us to uh, do series with names like Wild. Uh, But we've been traveling through the season of Lent, this, this holy season in the church year that leads up to Easter. And it's uh, a season of preparation and an increasing awareness of who Jesus is and what he calls us to and what he paid on our behalf, all those things. And we've been traveling with the uh, gospel passages uh, in the lectionary, which have this overwhelming theme of of wildness, recklessness, untamed nature of, of pursuing faith and life in the way of Jesus. Which brings us to today, barbarian hordes. I've got to say that very carefully. Barbarian, or not. It's like, I, like I said last week, it'd be funny either way. Um, but that's where we've arrived, at the barbarians. Barbarians at the gate. And when I think of barbarians, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taken back to one of the most barbaric situations I ever found myself in. Uh, incredibly uncivilized, untamed, uh, somewhat reckless on my part to even allow myself to be there. And that, of course, was... Uh, junior high boys camp, uh, where I was a counselor. And if ever there are barbarians at the gates, they are uh, slightly pubescent boys who smell a little bit like chicken soup that's been left in the windowsill. You know what I'm talking about. And so that's what I had. And so I've told stories about this camp, the uh, increasingly ironically named Camp Faithful. That was a uh, Christian camp so to speak, that I did some summer ministry stuff at. And I've told stories of senior high week, but I'm going to take you back a week. To junior high camp in the cabin of guys that my friend Andrew and I were counseling. And before they showed up, we had one of our famous staff meetings with that camp director, who I've also mentioned before. A guy who was full of just ideas. And he had an idea of what we would do with these rather uncivilized junior high boys in particular, that were showing up this week. So he said, I've come up with a plan, an incentive program, that we're going to reward these guys, that if they clean their cabins really well, we will give them points. All right. Being the inquisitive, inquisitive guy that I am, I asked, and so what do points get them? He hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> so in the moment, he said, well, not really anything. It's just, just the more points they get, I, the more motivated they'll be. And, and, you know, they'll compare themselves to other cabins. Because that's really what you want to have happen at a Christian campground is have people comparing themselves to others and who scores best. And, and they'll, I, said, I said, okay, I, I've got it. I, all right. So then it's time the campers show up. And we're, we're finally all gathered in our cabin for a little orientation time there that afternoon. And Andrew and I you know, told him about the great week that we help, hoped would lie ahead for them, the things we would do, what we'd learn about Jesus and the Bible and all that good stuff. And I said, I, and the director has told us to share with you that uh, if you clean this cabin really well each morning, that during breakfast someone will come around and, and sort of score all the, all the cabins. And whatever, however well you do, you will get points. And I thought about it for the moment. And then I knew I'd really like this cabin of guys when one of the, uh, one of the two sets of identical twins we had in our cabin <laughs> said, and so Jason, 
what do points get us? I said, well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I've been told nothing. <laughs> I said, so, you know what? Sounds like we have a choice here. That this week, you could spend a lot of time cleaning this place in the morning to get points. And what do points get you? And for some reason, the way I said it, it became a cheer because they all shouted out nothing. <laughs> Who knows? I may have led them just a, a bit. He said, or if you just keep it clean enough that nothing can grow, breed, or no one will twist an ankle, I think we'll be okay. I said, which do you want to do? And so needless to say, it was a messy, chaotic week. Uh, I became a cheer, clean the cabin, get you points. What do points get you? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that director didn't like me a whole lot at the end of those two weeks. And so, messy, chaotic, barbaric week. But to a camper, they said to Andrew and myself, best week ever. Not merely because we had a great time, which we did, but because there were those who didn't know Christ, who came to faith in Christ that week. There were those who had this rather anemic, kind of just weak faith that was at best inherited from their grandmother or something. They, they weren't quite sure what it was that became real that week. And then there was those who had a rather mature faith for their age and realized they could actually do something. They wasn't waiting until they were older to share their faith, to live their faith out. Amazing week. But it was a bit barbaric. And not a whole lot of points were scored that week. Because what do points get you? So how many here... have been taught, were maybe raised in a church or Christian family or some setting like that, and you were given the idea that to be Christian is to be civilized. That to follow Jesus, or at least go to church and do the right things, uh, is to have a set of behaviors, you know, proper manners, polite behavior, be a good citizen of a Christian nation. That if you're in Sunday school, vacation Bible school camp, or especially a worship service, you sit still, you pay attention, you have perfect attendance, you make sure you speak the language and know everything that goes on. Anyone kind of have that picture? You may still have that picture. If you're here for the first time, boys, do we have some things in store for you. Uh, but in following Jesus... If we've, if we've learned anything this series, and if you're here for the first time, I strongly encourage you to go back and, and grab some of the audio online or subscribe to the podcast and, and catch some of the, uh, the backstory to this stuff. But if we've learned anything in this series about following Jesus, you know, what, what does being tame, civilized, and polite get you? Points. That's right. <laughs> And so, if Jesus is wild, then what kind of church might he want? And where do the barbarians fit in? Speaking as a former barbarian, actually a current barbarian myself, I've, I've joked about being raised by bears in northern Maine. It's, a, it's an accurate picture, at least, of my behaviors. Um, what kind of church might a wild Jesus want? And so let's turn to the Gospel of John. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs. And if uh, you have a chair that we've run out of Bibles, uh, it's just too many people coming. We're going to have to do something about that. 
uh, I think we'll get more Bibles. This when chairs is what we'll do. Um, but uh, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up, and one of these spare ones will make it back to you. But we're looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And if you're using the red Bibles that are here, it's on page 875. If you're flipping your own, it's there in the Gospels, the first part of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's Gospel of John, chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. And we'll read a couple and then we'll pause. And so they were entering a season, this high holy season, where many were going to gather for worship, much as we are about to enter Holy Week. Very much the same dynamic. Catch that, okay? That'll, that'll, that'll be important later. <laughs> and so people are gathering for worship. But there's some surprises. And so in John chapter 12, verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. Now you may be thinking frat boys, which actually wouldn't be far off perhaps, but some non-Jews are showing up for worship. It says, they came to Philip, one of the disciples, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. In the original language, there's a sense of that it's, it's an ongoing request. You know, we'd like to see Jesus. Do you have an appointment? No, but we'd like to see him. Sir, 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 we'd like to see Jesus. You know, it's one of those kind of... And so Philip, uh, thrown off his game a little bit, says, verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew, there's Greeks here. What do I do? I, I don't know. Let's go tell Jesus. And so then, then it goes on. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And so there's something about these Greeks showing up that's unexpected and throws Philip and Andrew completely off their game. They don't know what to do and how to handle this. Now, it might be worth asking, why did these Greeks show up in the first place? And a few weeks back, uh, when, when I was preaching before, um, we looked at that incident where Jesus clears the temple of the money changers and those who are selling animals. Do you remember what part of the temple layout that was in? It was the courtyard of the Gentiles. It was a place where non-Jewish people could actually show up and draw near to God uh, when there wasn't people hawking doves and, and sheep and you know changing money and exchange rates and extorting people and exploiting them. Uh, when that wasn't happening... Well, then the non-Jewish people could draw near to God. And maybe they heard that not only were they welcome, but there was actually room for them. Because maybe it hadn't filled all back in yet with all the commerce and exploitation and, and stupidity that had been going on there before. So that may have drawn them there. Also, we've, we learn in the Gospel of John in particular that Jesus had, had this ongoing theme, particularly in God's, John's Gospel that comes through, that he isn't simply the Redeemer of Israel, but he's the savior of the world. And through his preaching or actions, maybe the word got around. But if you want to jot down just a few references, uh, you're welcome to there in your notes. Or if you just read the Gospel of John, you will see this time and again. First chapter, John chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Jews? Oh, sure. <laughs> but it actually says the sin of the world. John three sixteen, which Pastor Scott tackled in context last week. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Uh, the Samaritans, those, those half-breed, backwards cousins who had bad theology and worse hygiene, you know, that the Jews looked down upon, you know, those folks. 
John 4.42, they actually rightly identified Jesus, unsurprisingly, being somewhat outside the Jewish circle of trust there, as the, uh, the savior of the world. John 6.33, he gave his life for the world and gives life to the world. John 8.12, he is the light of the world. And then in John 10.16 and 11, 51 through 52, Jesus says and demonstrates some very provocative words where he says he has come to also bring other sheep who are outside the Jewish fold. And then there's Philip himself, who these Greeks come up to. Why would they do that? Well, Philip is the, uh, is the only one of the disciples who has a truly Greek name. Now, he's, he's a Jew, but he might be kind of Jewish, you know. But he's, he's a full-on full Jew. Uh, but he has a Greek name, probably because of where he lived. It says he's from Bethsaida, which is in a predominantly nearby, predominantly Gentile cities, particularly the uh, Decapolis uh, collection of 10 cities, as Deca implies. And so he may have had lots of trade contacts that were Gentile. These guys may have known him or known of him. And so for whatever reason, this church, this community that Jesus is drawing towards himself is attracting these others, these Greeks, and they, and they come near and have a desire to meet this Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew bring them to Jesus or try to get to Jesus first, but if I'm the Greeks, I'm going to follow them all the way there. Uh, I've come this far. And they bring him there, or they're listening in, and Jesus answers them. But in classic Jesus fashion, his answer, at first blush, makes no sense whatsoever. It seems to have nothing to do with the issue at hand that we've got these Greeks who are showing up at a Jewish festival to meet our Jewish rabbi who may be the Jewish Messiah. What do we do? And Jesus gives an answer that seems to have nothing to do with the situation at hand. Um, Or does it? And so we continue in John chapter 12, verse 23. It says, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Huh? There's, there's Greeks here, and you're talking, what? What does that even mean? The hour, he probably says it in that voice, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, uh, and, then he, and then he goes on, very truly, I tell you, oh good, now he's finally going to tell us something. I tell you, unless a grain of wheat, oh, with the wheat, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain but if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, and Andrew and Philip are like, oh, when he gets like this, you just got to let him go. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, guys, Greeks. and I swear, he, he ends up in a good place. It makes sense. Of it. And then he says, verse 25, those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then the Greeks, who are very familiar with philosophical concepts, could be thinking one of two things. Oh, great, another philosopher. Or they might be slightly interested. But then I imagine Jesus sort of looking past Philip and Andrew and locking eyes with those Greeks who've shown up and saying this. Whoever serves me 
must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. And if I'm those Greeks, I'm going to cling to one word in that whole thing. Whoever. Whoever. Really? Do we want to go down that road? Whoever? And I don't know if Philip and Andrew got it just then. They would eventually. But I bet those Greeks picked up on it. And the hour has come because they're showing up too soon. It's supposed to come after the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit being poured out. That's when, and here these guys have, have got here early. And so Jesus is like, the hour has come. We've got to move this thing along. Because before we know it, the whole world's going to show up. And I need to do what I need to do for them. Because they're why I came. And so, fair question. Is this really the kind of church that the wild Jesus is building? A church for whoever. A church for those who, uh, who don't always score a lot of points. A church for those who fall outside the the normal bounds of polite society or expectations or, or the expectations of a particular subculture? Well, within a generation, here's the church that's described. The Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. You can just listen in on this. Uh, as he's speaking of, of what Jesus is bringing... This wild Jesus, what he has unleashed in the world, in this world that's being renewed in the image and likeness of its Savior. He says in Colossians 3, verse 11, In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And those are powerful words. So for the Jews, anyone who was non-Jewish, they tended to just call Greek. It was, it was all Greek to them. It, they were just, it was just everyone, you know. It's kind of like the Amish. If you go down in southern New York or Pennsylvania, we're all English to them. Everyone who's not Amish is English, even though, you know, I'm Irish. And, uh, they're all Greeks. But if you talk to the Greeks, oh, no, there's differences. So the Greeks said, no, there's Greeks, and then there's those who don't know Greek culture. They're barbarians. Then you talk to the barbarians, and the barbarians say, oh, sure, there's barbarians, but have you met the Scythians? They're the, they're the worst of the worst. Like, seriously, they were considered the most violent. They came down from Russia, these nomads. They were mercenaries, hired, you know, warriors, incredibly violent. The most anti-Greek, barbaric category that the Apostle Paul could have included. You know, forget about those who have their freedom and those who, who are slaves, and that's the church that Jesus set in motion. But why would Jesus want a barbarian church? So you notice where we started. If we're talking about the kind of community we should be, we don't just talk about the kind of community we should be. We start with Jesus. We spent a whole series basically drilling it into our heads that, no, Jesus is not to be tamed and domesticated. 
And so if he's a wild Jesus that we're to pursue with just reckless abandon, what kind of church does he want? He wants a, a barbarian church, really? So why would he want that? Maybe that would help us understand. Why would he want these barbarian hordes? Why would he want you know, some kid from northern Maine raised by bears, practically, to be a pastor and church planter? Why would he want the likes of, of Pastor Mike and, and Scott and, and other folks here and leaders and those who have recently come to faith in Christ and those who are figuring out here? Why would he want a barbarian church? Well, it might help to look at what the mission of the church is, what its purpose is. And a very famous passage where he gives this picture of the church he hopes to build. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18. And he's asked the disciples, because again, he starts with the right question. Who do people say I am? And they give some answers. Then he asks, who do you say I am? And Peter, the most unlikely of candidates, Peter, who is the most uncivilized of the disciples, who opens his mouth when he should keep it shut, who jumps out of boats when he should stay safe inside, who pulls out his sword and cuts off ears. Jesus has to go slap back on heel. That Peter, the Peter who had clearly been rejected to to be a, a follower of a rabbi, which was the highest aspiration for Jewish boys and men, How do we know that? Well, because he's working at the family business. He's out there in the hot sun, getting calluses on his hand. He's a tradesman, an artisan, if you will. So he'd long since been rejected. So we sometimes wonder, why did those guys just drop everything to follow Jesus? had already been rejected by every other rabbi. But this rabbi is different. And so Peter makes the confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And on that rock-solid confession, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are an affront to God, my opinion. God hates gates. Put that on a poster. March around with that one. And in the church community, how often have we treated this thing? as a gated community. Not you guys. Maybe you guys. And so God is not desiring for there to be any barriers between those who need him and Jesus. And so why do you want a barbarian church? Why do you want barbarians at the gate? Because barbarians are no respecters of gates. And if the gates are hell or what needs to come down, those who sit still and listen carefully and don't fidget and are polite and know which fork to use at the Passover, you know, they're not going to be much use against the gates of hell. 
But you get some Scythians on the team, now we're talking. Some barbarians, some frat boys. Yeah. Yeah. The gates of hell will not stand. And so Jesus wants to build a church that will not put up with gates. And so a question, for those who are followers of Jesus, and that's likely the majority of folks here, but it's not all of us, which is also a good thing. For those who are followers of Jesus, you need to ask yourself, are you more concerned with scoring points? Like that well-meaning camp director who was deeply, deeply misguided. Oh my gosh. Uh, Do we think we're meant to shape polite people? Or followers of wild Jesus. If you're all about points, just remember, what do points get you? Nothing. And so, are we willing? Are we willing to reach out to the barbarians? Which can sound incredibly condescending, unless we recognize that we are them. I, I certainly know my barbarian roots quite well. It's probably still fresh for some of you also. But even those who have been a little too civilized over the years, I bet you can call it back up if you need to. And like Jesus clearing those temple courts that we talked about a few weeks ago, that court of the Gentiles, are we willing to make room on something as as simple as clearing out some of the stuff that was in this room last week when we were kind of jammed in here? I think we have the same amount of people this week, but there's room so that now we know we can invite some more and there'll they'll actually be a seat for them. Making room? Wow, that's a crazy idea for a church to do. Needing to make room, that's an even crazier thing, so let's be thankful that that's happening here. <laughs> but we're, are we willing? And fortunately, as one of the pastors here, it is such a privilege to pastor with this crew. Because it is clear that willingness is not an issue here. You know, as some of you stood in that act of, of public prayer and commitment a few weeks back, when we first started talking about, did you want to follow some fake, domesticated, tame Jesus? Or were you done with that and wanted to follow the wild, real Jesus? And there were dozens of folks who stood on that. So I know we're willing. Are we going to do it well? Will we fail? Will we have spectacular failures? Absolutely. Guaranteed, we are going to screw this up big time. You know what's worse than screwing up big time? Doing nothing. And scoring points. And so we're willing to be crowded and inconvenienced, to shake up our schedules and calendars, and to throw open the gates. And let me just ask this. Who are best at reaching barbarians? Other barbarians. And so let me encourage you not to get too civilized. To not cut yourself off from friendships. And family members and places that, you know, for good reason you may need to be careful around. But man, being careful is not exactly what I ascribe to Jesus and following him. 
being wise, maybe that's a better term, including some other friends. And so, for those followers of Jesus who I kind of ramblingly have talked to for a moment here, we are entering that season, much like with going on in this passage, that high holy season, where even the Greeks might come around. In the church, we often denigrate those who are Christmas and Easter Christians. I think the fact that there's people who only drop in on a church on Christmas and Easter says less about them. Again, I'm so grateful for this church community that that's not how we play it here. But I want to encourage you because we're at that place as a young church, kind of in our fourth year. We're past that 125 mark between the two services. We're looking to buy this building that we're renting. We are in danger of becoming civilized. And it's going to get real easy to to settle in, to focus on ourselves. And thankfully, it's not happening. But by God's grace, may it never happen. And so I want to encourage you folks who are part of Artisan, be inviting. Don't be like Philip and Andrew who don't have a clue what to do. Or maybe you don't have a clue, but, you know, fake it. Invite some folks. You know what? Pray like your prayers matter. Not like people are just going to randomly show up. But that classmate, that family member, that neighbor, that enemy... That spouse, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, why don't you pray for them? And let God bring some opportunities for inviting them to experience Jesus. And that may be here in worship. This is a pretty safe place to hear some dangerous stuff. Uh, It may be in another setting. But pray like your prayers matter, because they do. It's God's good pleasure to answer prayers. And it seems to be his pattern uh, to not do a lot until we ask. That's about as polite as God gets right there. He, he leaves us alone, if that's what we prefer. And so invite. If ever there's a season in the church year that the Greeks and the barbarians and even the Scythians might show up and meet Jesus, it is around Easter. Don't wait. And for those who are seeking and searching, and thankfully we have many of you guys here as well, that for whatever reason we've made enough room here that you Greeks and barbarians and Scythians who are closest to my barbaric heart show up also. And you ask tough questions. You want to see the real Jesus, if he exists. And you may be wondering, Are you actually welcomed? Or are you going to have to change and become something you're not? And there's a paradox there. That Christ will change your life. But he'll change it to what you were meant to be. And that will not equal tame, polite, and domesticated. At least it hasn't for me. And I'm awfully grateful for that. So you may wonder if you're welcome to the journey. And you are. You are in good company 
You're in the company of those Greeks, those barbarians, those Scythians. And in John 12, 20 through 21, this is for you and for those who we want to invite to experience Jesus here. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Let's pray. God, there is a world full of people who, whether they can articulate it or not, wish to see Jesus. And God, forgive us to the extent that we've created gated communities in our churches, in our lives. Tear down those gates. And God, forgive us for being scared of the other gates, of flinching away from the gates of hell. There is nothing to fear there. And help us to be a bit more barbaric in our pursuit of Jesus and to tear down anything that keeps those who in this life experience far too much hell and not enough heaven. And that will be the best they ever know apart from coming to know Jesus. Help us tear down the gates that stand in that way. And for those seeking and searching, I pray that they would just trust that they don't have to turn into a certain type of Christian. They don't have to leave their personality and culture behind, but it gets to be redeemed and transformed and renewed. And that, yes, the church needs the barbarians because we've got a dangerous mission that polite will not do. And so thank you that we've traveled through this series these last few weeks and that you indeed are a wild Jesus. And so help us carry on in that reckless pursuit of untamed faith as we share and invite and explore and ask questions in the coming days. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as a way to respond to God's word, you may choose to just be prayerful and sing the songs of worship, um, but every week we also have the table of communion. And there's always room at the table. In fact, we have three stations there this week because we will make room for the more and more people who are coming here. And Jesus said these words that can be our, our communion reflection for those who choose to approach the table. This is what he said right after He was speaking about the whoever would come to him. And I wonder what those Greeks thought of these words. I wonder what Andrew and Philip thought. But let this be our reflection as we prepare for the communion table and the remainder of worship. Because Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason. It's for the barbarians and the Greeks and the Scythians and the Rochesterians and the urbanites and the suburbanites and the slave and the free and the men and the women. And the... This is the reason that I have come for this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. If he's drawing you to himself, respond. Approach the table, tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice that are labeled there as that sacrament of his broken body and shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're crossing that line of faith for the first time, what a wonderful first act of prayer and worship. And I'd encourage you, if that's where you're at, come talk to me or someone else that that you trust here. And we'll walk with you and pray with you and welcome you to this barbarian horde called Artisan Church. Worship as God leads you.